Hi, this is Austin Parsons, Pitmaster with Smoky Mountain Q in Nashville, Tennessee, and you are listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Happy to have you aboard here for the really big barbecue show. Boing. We cook because we have to, and we grill because we want to. Hit me. Fine. How you doing? <laughs> we have a great show. I'm a big fan. Boing. So what, what, what seems to be the problem here? This man looks like he's dead, and he's in the, in the crackle. Charbono. It's all about the Charbono, dude. Succulent fish. What? We ate 50 for wiener. Oh, listen, Lavernia, shit feast. I'm shaking like a dog shit pee <laughs> We have top men working on it right now. Top men. All right, welcome into the second hour. We are here. We have done it once again. We've made it into hour number two of the Barbecue Central Show, where we only talk about the most important items of the barbecue and grilling industry. The show originating from... Palm City, USA. Cleveland. Still to come on the show this evening, Ted Conrad in about 13 minutes from now. Chris Young is going to close out the show 35 past the hour. We say good evening to those of you watching this show tonight through one of our video streaming platforms. You can go to Facebook or Twitch slash BBQ Central Show. You can also watch on YouTube, which is YouTube.com slash at BBQ Central Show. We have a new YouTube poll question of the week, and I am shocked, dare I say, aghast at the percentages that are being puked up on here during the poll. Not returning your cart to the cart corral is worse than not covering your cooker. 62% of you are saying no, it's not worse. I'm shocked. I'm appalled. We will continue asking our guests, which, by the way, 100% of guests are agreeing with me that not returning your cart to the corral is worse than not covering your grill. Why wouldn't you cover your grill? But why wouldn't you return the cart to the cart corral? Why wouldn't you do both? I mean, why are we picking one over the other? I don't want to be hypocritical, but I do love to live there. But given the distinction or making a distinction between the two, not returning the cart to the cart corral proves what kind of a human you are, to say the least. And we will continue to update the percentages as we move on. Coming up on the best moments of the Barbecue Central show in 10 minutes or less this coming Friday, episode 302, taking you back to September 9th, 2008. And this time around, we are featuring me and a guy by the name of Walt from Wilton. Wilt. <laughs> Wilt. Walt mentioned a number of weird things. So let me back this up here just for a second. Back in 2008, through many years of the show, I used Skype as an interface both uh, for two different ways. I would connect to guests that way. And then Skype also offered you a landline number opportunity. So I would give out a number. It used to be 216-220-0966 was the hotline number. You could call in, ask questions on the show. People rarely called it, especially as the show continued to mature in age and decorum. I think people were a little nervous about jumping on, possibly sounding a little bit of like a maroon to the barbecue and grilling public. They cared. However, in the early days... There didn't seem to be the same amount of reserve on these callers. For instance, this guy, Walt from Wilton, he calls in, mentions a number of weird things during the call, was asking me where I was from up in that area because I'm from Saratoga Springs originally. Grew up there until middle of sixth grade when we moved to Cleveland, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame City. Was asking, are you related to? It was, it was very weird, stalky, kind of. And ultimately, he works his way around to how he barbecues horses. This show was a request from a fan who does seem to point out, as I was listening to John talk the show out, I was a little bit put off by the fact this guy was talking about barbecuing horses. 
which is counter to my longtime stance on being pro horse meeting, uh, horse meeting, horse meat eating. And by that, I mean being able to secure a choice to either eat horse meat or not eat horse meat, which we're not allowed to do at all legally at the moment. There is no choice. You can't eat horse meat here in the States. You either have to go to Canada, you got to leave the country. I think you can do it in Mexico. Certainly you can do it in France and Germany. A lot of European countries you can eat horse, but you can't do it here. So that's what I'm talking about when I say pro horse meat eating, getting the choice to do that. I don't think the groundswell and the beginnings of horse meat. What was that? Stand by, stand by, stand by. It was the three million download sign. It fell. Looking all around, trying to find what potentially fell off. I'm looking right at it. And finally, I realized, well, that's not in the right place. It was the three million download sign that my parents and my sister sent me when the show crossed over three million downloads. Oh, my. Look, let me get back to the point I'm trying to make here. Walt from Wilton calls in. I appear to be put off. I am have then been pro-choice on let's have a choice to eat horse meat or not. This horse meat movement didn't happen for many years after that. So that's something that we grow into. So don't be uh, colored in any way about my uh, issue with Walt. I hung up on. I don't want to ruin it, but I just did. But it's still worth the listen. Notwithstanding Walt from Wilton, and I don't even know if we're withstanding him or not, a legendary caller in the early years of the show. Dan from Wachula also makes an appearance during this episode. Dan, in my mind, is an absolute legend when it comes to the old-time callers to the show. I have no idea what's happened to Dan, but I hope he's doing well. Also, it gives you a peek into what kind of show was happening almost 15 years ago, which you may, may or may not like. So look forward to the best moments of the Barbecue Central show, where you will not only get a Walt from Wilton Work around horse McGillicuddy, but you will also get a call from Dan from Wachula and his pal Weasel. It's great. You're going to want to listen to it. You can subscribe to the show by visiting thebbqcentralshow.com slash subscribe and then use one of the ways to do that. And don't forget, if you want to hear a guest or segment again, you think it's been lost in the archives, email John, J-O-N, at thebbqcentralshow.com and ask what you would like to hear. Because that's exactly what you're getting this coming Friday. It's a show request. And there was another one that I saw in the uh, in the hopper as well. Before we get to the next guest, which will be Ted Conrad from Fireboard, I did want to briefly mention, as I got a lot of text messages about the American Royal Open scoring issue, as I mentioned, many texts on Sunday asking if I heard what was going on. During Sunday night, I was watching it happen live with a lot of social media posts, which I take with a grain of salt, right? Also, I read Rod Gray's post specifically talking about Sunday night and apologizing for the issues or issues that cause the delay. I have talked with a few folks that were competing out there over this past weekend. At the moment, it appears there could be much more to the story than just some kind of technical glitch. It caused the delay. However, I'm not going to be reckless and speculate on any of that until I hear back from KCBS on exactly what happened that caused this and then potential further fallout from this glitch as they're working through some things today as well. I did ask Rod Gray for comment before the show because I told him I was going to be mentioning it tonight, but I hadn't gotten anything back at this very moment, that being 10, 10 p.m. Eastern time at this point. So I will continue to track that and get updates from them as they give them to me. And then I will in turn give those updates to you if you're not following them socially at any point. And uh, we'll see how it goes. But again, I heard all about it because I was watching all about it. I say congratulations to the invitational winners. And the open one. 
Ted Conrad is ready to go. We're going to be talking to him here in just one second. Before we get to Ted, I'm going to talk to you about Franklin Barbecue Pits. In fact, a week ago Saturday, I was in the physical presence of a Franklin Barbecue Pit over at Hartville Hardware in Hartville, Ohio. Now a certified dealer of Franklin Barbecue Pits. So now, aside from just talking about them, I got to put my hands on them and run my hands over the welds. One of the attention-to-detail items that I saw, you had the handle where you opened the big main chamber. So a lot of times, this is just a solid piece. You hike it up. If you're building momentum, this is a heavy door. I mean, it's not 900 pounds, but it's a heavy door because it's a solid piece of equipment. As you lift it, the handle itself is built to roll. So as you build momentum, you're not losing it because the handle is stuck in your hand. Now you're like jerking it up. It's a nice, smooth action. The handle just rolls in your hand, almost like a a dough kneader, or as we call it, a rolling pin. What an idiot. Franklin Pitts are primarily made of 516th and quarter-inch American-made steel. Those are strong. Anything that sees heat, engineered to be incredibly solid and should last a century or more if cared for properly. You can't overstate how important the thickness of the steel is. Guaranteed professional-grade heat retention, which is key to producing good barbecue. Every Franklin pit, unique to itself. Its own patina, natural markings, even its own number badge. Franklin Pits can be found at fine barbecue specialty stores in select regions of the country. And if you're a fan of the show and you happen to own such a store and you wish to become a certified Franklin dealer, you visit franklinbbqpits.com and fill out their dealer form. Now, maybe you're a fan of the show, but you want to own a Franklin barbecue pit. You don't have a certified dealer just near you. You can also visit the same website, franklinbbqpits.com, and purchase a pit right there. Your new Franklin Pit will ship right to your driveway. If you have any questions along the way, make sure you use the contact us, the contact us link at the bottom of the website. Remember, West Wright from cookoutnews.com has one and uses it regularly and talks about how easy it is to use. Season it up, learn how to build a fire, and learn why I say the best tasting barbecue is from an offset pit. There's just no two ways about it, my opinion. FranklinBBQPits.com. That's FranklinBBQPits.com. And we're back with Ted Conrad right after this. Stick around. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Howard Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. Welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by Pit Barrel Cooker, the most unbelievable outdoor cooking device on the planet, currently available in three sizes, hosted accessories. Doesn't matter if you're a beginner or professional, it's a cooker you want to add to the arsenal. Visit pitbarrelcooker.com. Tell them the Barbecue Central Show sent you. But if you are considering a barrel-style cook, stop messing around. Go to pitbarrelcooker.com. Now, if you live on the edge, you don't mind blasting people in the package, you might want to check out the Badger Barrel instead. But either one, badgerbarrel.com, pitbarrelcooker.com, same family makes them both. You figure out which one fits your lifestyle best, and away you go. My first guest in the second hour, one of the partners who started Fireboard Labs, a longtime supporter of this show, which I appreciate. You are most likely familiar with their products, which include things like Fireboard 2, Fireboard 2 Drive, Fireboard Pro, and of course, the ever-popular Fireboard Spark. Tonight, we're talking about some new things coming down the pike in fairly short order. We're also going to be talking about this past weekend's American Royal. He was there. Our pal Ted Conrad joins the show. Ted, before we get going tonight, hey, Greg. we have a YouTube poll question of the week that we're asking everybody, including the YouTube people that are watching, but guests too. And it's this. Not returning your cart to the cart corral is worse than not covering your grills. Do you agree? 
Oh gosh. Uh, I would say covering your grills, not covering your grills is worse. Really? All right. Well, <laughs> what do you think? I, I would say 54% yeah, of the voting public agree with you that it's not worse. However, uh-huh. uh, my first two guests of the evening, myself and a number of the embedded correspondents all believe that if you're not returning a cart to the cart corral, there's only few people that are worse than you as a human rapists and murderers. And then it's people that don't return carts to the cart corral. I would venture to say, though, uh, to be contradictory, which is I always love to be. If you're not returning your cart to the cart corral, you're also probably not covering your grills because you're a despicable human. You're a lazy human being. Yes, I mean, what are we talking about? <laughs> All right, enough of that. So you were at the American Royal this past weekend. Why does Fireboard go to the American Royal? That's a good question. We, first of all, it's Friday night. You know, the Friday night party is a lot of fun. And that is really the, the main thing that we do. It's, it's, it's for the employees. And we actually do an email blast. You probably got it too, Greg. Yep. But we do an email blast. And we invite everybody that's a Fireboard customer. And so it's really an invitation to come out, have a good time, relax. Um, we do a bunch of cooking. So we did, I think, gosh, we did like six pork butts, two briskets, 20 slabs of ribs, a bunch of sausage. You know, so it's just a big party and it's just a lot of fun. Of course, if you've been out there, you know, you just kind of meander around and you see people all from the city that you know. Um, so that's the main thing is the Friday night deal. But, but I guess secondary to that is really, you know, everyone's there, right? I mean, everyone's there from around the country and maybe even around the world. Mm-hmm. And so it's an opportunity to connect with some of these guys. Um, we had a list of people we thought it'd be fun to talk to, um, you know, chasing them down a little bit. And, and who knows, maybe there's an opportunity to work together. Maybe there's an opportunity to, to generate content. Um, and overall, just partner. We have a lot of fun stuff coming up. So I think the guys that are really interested in Fireboard products, um, I think it's a cool chance just to be able to network with all these people because they're all essentially right within a square mile with each other. So, and that, and the other thing we do is just get video content and stuff like that. So, and we do the kids queue. That was the other fun thing. My the two youngest kids did the kids queue again this year, which is a lot of fun. How do they do? Uh, they didn't get any, you know, top play, top place uh, finishes this year, but um, they had fun. It was the first year for steak uh, for my uh, middle uh, child, Courtney, and she had fun doing it, but we kind of learned a little bit. There's some tricks with doing steak, and so I think next year will be better. So, <laughs> Is it expected that if you're a business in Kansas City, you should be going to the American Royal and throwing some kind of party? Almost. I mean, I, yeah. I would venture to say a good, a good chunk of the corporate – world is out there um you have these huge tents like the ju dunn tent was huge you've got the you know, big black and beach tents there's a lot of the big kansas city companies not all of them but um i would say the ones that aren't there you know it, for example the first one i just thought of was garmin you know but but garmin's active they have the garmin marathon that's coming up here just in a week or two or i think here you know just shortly and uh they're they're involved with so much other stuff around town too but there's a ton of corporate presence out there at the American Royal. You had mentioned trying to get together with some people maybe you want to partner with in some form or fashion, generate content. Uh, certainly, I get that. Is there significant business to be had there? Have you picked up you know 20 or 30 dealers on a weekend that you wouldn't have otherwise if you didn't go or not so much? I don't think that we've picked up dealers there. there I mean, we may have in the past. We may have found one or two. Um you know, I know you and I had connected at the HPBA where a lot of, you know, small barbecue stores um, and even large barbecue stores are out there at, at the HPBA as well. But I think the American Royal is more the competition teams. Um, you know, there are teams that are sponsored. Like I saw Atlanta barbecue store had a big, you know, sponsored teams. So I think indirectly there might be some conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really more for, I think, influencers. You know, um, if there's somebody that's really kind of, wanting to generate content, a partner with some manufacturers, you know, like us and some really exciting tech products that we have, you know, I think it's a good chance to, to connect with them. Harry Sue, we always, well, I'm not sure if we talked to him this year, but he's always fun uh, to talk to. And we'll, we'll get a few videos with him and it's, it's always a good conversation. What's your favorite barbecue to eat? 
Oh, like what, uh, you're talking about what, what type of meat or like what, no. what's, what place here in Kansas city? Oh, we'll get to that here in a second, but like meat wise, what's your, what's your go-to protein? <laughs> I'd have to say ribs. Yeah. Are you a spare rib guy or baby bag? Um, I, well, personally, I always cook baby bags. I guess probably they're easier to cook and I'm not like a, you know, huge pit master, but, um, but no, honestly, I mean, it, I've had unbelievable baby back ribs. I have unbelievable spare ribs. I think almost everything out there, the competition is spare ribs, yep. you know, so everything that I sampled this weekend, you know, Sunday around noon, there's the turn-ins, you know, so you can kind of walk around a little bit. And of course we, we partner with burnt finger barbecue and I've always loved their ribs. I mean, it's just, they took first or second, I think it was a few years back in Memphis in May for their ribs. Mm-hmm. And it was, it, it's just unbelievable. It's just, it, it's an amazing experience to go sample competition level barbecue. Now it's a different flavor kind of, but they're still, it's, it's amazing. So do you have a favorite barbecue establishment in Kansas city that you prefer? Personally, I love Q39. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you been to Q39, Greg? Uh, I've only been to Kansas City once, and I tried like hell to get into Q39. That was actually when Robert McGee was still around, and uh, tried to leverage myself a little bit, and it didn't work out. So I didn't get to go there. I've heard nothing, nothing but rave reviews. Uh, I went to Slaps. Uh, Joe Pierce like hosted me, came in. Like the place closed down. He brought, brought all his food out for me and a guy that I was with, and it was fabulous. And then uh, when Plowboys Barbecue was open downtown, uh, I met Todd Johns down there, and he hooked me up with a whole bunch of really good barbecue. But Q39 was on the list, but very hard to get into, at least when I was down there. Uh, it was probably in April or May for a volleyball contest and just couldn't squeeze it in. What do you like the best there? I love their brisket. Mm. Um, it's just I'm, what their style is. I'm not sure how they're maybe where they source it or something, but it's just, it's unbelievable. Now, I mean, you mentioned slaps and, you know, Joe Pierce. I mean, that, that really, their stuff is always just amazing. And that's, that's a really cool spot. They've got this really cool outdoor kind of covered patio. And so if you go there in the fall or the winter, it's kind of like their heaters are going. So it's, that's kind of a neat, and their, their inside place where they're, they're serving from the kitchen is really small and you kind of go out, you kind of meander outside, which is, which is kind of fun. Do you go to any other barbecue contests besides the Royal or is it because it's kind of local? That's the one you're going to go to. Yeah, we've been to Memphis in May once or 12, once. Yeah. Basically once with, with burnt finger, um, We've been to some of the other local ones here. I think I've been to, gosh, maybe one or two other kind of random ones. But obviously, American Royal is just, it's its perfect for us. I used to go, before I started Fireboard, um, I was in the, the investments world. And we we had a small little tent. We went out. That was when it was at the West Bottoms, like the true mm-hmm. American Royal, the old venue. And that was, that was an amazing spot. We had a... It was funny. One year, there was a spot where the road came down, and they have those big, huge drains where the water comes out from the road. <laughs> and of course, we had a downpour, and our entire, we were like, it was this high in water, so it was quite the experience. <laughs> so we have some product stuff to talk about. I always love to have you on and announce something that might be coming up or something we can at least look forward to. What are we looking at from a new products standpoint in 2023? Yeah. Well, so this has been something we've been working on actually for a, for a while. What's a while? Like six months or five years? Yeah. (laughs) Longer than I'd like to admit, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I mean, typical product development um, cycle, I would say is any, it's going to be at least a year, maybe even a year and a half. Mm. You know, if you kind of start from when you really get going on the design and then you get, you know, prototyping and beta versions and then early, early production batch. But this has really been more than two years and I can get in again. There's, there's a lot of, of tech um, stuff we've had to really go through um, why that's kind of made that complicated. And if we're a small team, right? So we don't have, you know, we don't have teams of engineers that are all cranking on this. So we've got a you know, kind of a lean and mean group. We're able to get stuff done, but sometimes it takes just a little bit longer. Um, 
but no, tonight, tonight, Greg, what I was going to share with everyone, this is really the first time we've, we've kind of got out and shared this too. I mean, we've talked to some people at, um, the NRA, which is the restaurant show. Um, but we have what we're calling the fireboard beacon hmm. and I have it here in my hand. Um, and you can see this is a small device. It's a, essentially a wireless sensor. And so I, for the for the audience that's most likely listening, which is, you know, cooking, barbecue, I want to just preface this by saying this is this is primarily geared towards restaurants and grocery stores, cold storage. However, I think there's a pretty compelling use case for really anyone. I mean, this is there's there's two temperature sensors inside of this. There's also humidity mm. and then there's also an external probe port. It's a little hard to see yeah, on the see you know, my yep, camera. It. You can kind of see that. So any of the fireboard ports or the fireboard probes will plug into this port. And so you essentially have the ability. Um, this thing can be placed very long range. So what this, what this does, we're calling this S1G technology. So it stands for sub one gigahertz. So this is transmitting at a lower radio frequency. And what happens, the lower your radio frequency is the further the range goes and you know, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth is like 2.4 gigahertz. So you don't really get the range. So this guy, we actually tested it today. I think we tested it at 0.7 miles. So <laughs> and that's a clear, that's a clear line of sight. Yep. Now, if you're inside of the building, but the whole idea is you could go into a grocery store or a restaurant and you could go stick this in your walk-in fridge or freezer and you just basically put this up on right inside that that walk-in and you you have connectivity outside of those metal walls so it's a beautiful thing for installation and i know people have you know they have like their their wine cellars they have their cigar humidors they have all sorts of like even a deep freeze at your house if you want to track that just buy one of these stick it in there and you're done and this the batteries will last for about two or three years double a battery so it's super easy to to swap out so you had mentioned something that i was just thinking about from a use standpoint not only sticking a thermometer probe in there to have you know, four or five or six of those for my fireboard one that i use all the time but i have just right to the left of me here a 400 count cigar humidor like a, a looks like a dorm refrigerator kind of thing for college but it's a it's a cigar humidor that's been manufactured that way so i could stick that in there and then uh you know i have i don't know if 2500 square foot house uh i'm in the basement so if i'm one floor above with just you know floor joists and some flooring above me this is gonna make it through to the to the phone or or the app to let me know what my humidity is because humidity is key in the cigar humidity. yeah oh yeah yeah so just to just to kind of peel back the layers a little bit and explain how this works for people. Um, as I mentioned, this is a 900 megahertz wireless sensor, basically that transmits over to the fireboard too. And there's a little, there's a little antenna that will essentially give people, but the antenna sticks into the fireboard too. The fireboard two can then receive information from all these sensors. So if you had one of these, or if you had 30 of these or whatever you want to do, it go back to the fireboard two. And the Fireboard 2 then, of course, has your Wi-Fi connectivity, goes to the cloud. Um, and I think it's worth mentioning, Greg, I mean, this is really just kind of the beginning. So we, the, the Fireboard S1G technology, this is the first device, but we have many other devices planned and already under development. And so I think that's key for people. And this is sort of like the revealing of sort of this technology and the power of it in that it's really better than Wi-Fi with these connected sensors. I didn't think I was going to ask this question yet, but as you're talking in my very dim mind is able to start connecting the dots here, could I assume that sub one is going to be the entrance point into the wireless thermometering for fireboard because it's not Wi-Fi getting tamped down. You close a lid and you hear like the meter and some of these other ones, uh, you know, quickly they're out of range. Uh, that's been the, the knock against meter forever. Um, is this something that could you could see being in a scenario of some sort? 
I, I guess I, I'll just leave it to your imagination, but I, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you that as a yes. There, <laughs> you know, my imagination yeah. running wild. You know, yeah, it. You know, the like I mentioned, the lower the frequency. I was just explaining this to my kids the other day. I was like trying to explain like sound frequency, and you get up to like AM radio. Yeah. I mean, AM radio, you can hear for like hundreds of miles in yep. some scenarios is crazy, right? So, I mean, the lower the frequency, the better the range. So, I, I think going this direction is going to be a winning strategy in the long run, but it but it's hard. You know, it's that you some of these devices, you don't get to buy just a Wi-Fi module and stick it on a board and have it work. You know, there's a lot of custom stuff that we've done to make this work. Um, and so all that hard work and technology, that's kind of what I mentioned earlier, where it's taking a little bit more time, but it's a good foundation that we're building for other devices in the future. So I, th- I think there's a lot of excitement. And, and again, I hope our customer base isn't disappointed this, hey, this isn't like this cooking barbecue thing necessarily. But I mean, it, I think it works great for that. You can like you bring this out there if you've got like a, a barn away from the house and you don't have Wi-Fi connectivity. This is perfect for that. Yeah. So I think it's, I think the use case is, is really wide and broad. Can you, what's the price point on that? Yeah, we're honestly just finalizing that, but I think one single unit would be in the 129 range. Um, I think we're going to offer like a four pack and maybe a 10 pack that would be at a discount to that. uh, Kind of if you divide it out per unit, but I think it's going to be somewhere in that 129 ballpark. And then from a connectivity standpoint, just to point it out again, you do need to have the Fireboard 2 base unit. And then you could easily just you know plug that in somewhere in the corner of the house or whatever and have that be the, the clearinghouse to get all the data wherever those, uh, those things are laying, whether they be in deep freeze uh, refrigerators or humidors or wherever. Exactly. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, and again, you can then once you have the, the Fireboard 2 base station or, I mean, obviously... You know, we've got this customer base. These guys already own fireboards. So then they all you know, do is just buy just buy the beacon. The antenna essentially comes with it and you're and you're good to go. And you can add on add on more beacons down the road if you want to. Um, and it adds to your account just like any other fireboard device. You know, like Apple with they have a year in their in their fireboard account. They have a fireboard two in their fireboard account. And now they'll just have, they'll have a beacon. Maybe they have a fireboard spark. You know, that's our instant read thing. So they'll, it'll add just like every other device. Is there a limit on beacons that are going to be, could I have 80 running at one time or do they max out somewhere? Yeah, right, right now we have sort of a soft limit and I, I believe it's at 30 right now. But, huh. you know, as the firmware evolves, I think that will go up. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted, you know, if you wanted more than 30 you just have two two base stations and then you'd be you'd be set what are we looking for a launch end of the month end of november what are we looking yep so we are shooting for the end of october and what we'll do is we will have information posted so if people who are interested in this product stay tuned to fireboard.com and we'll have all the information about the you know the shipping dates when that's and all the super finalized pricing and the packaging and you know all the uh, kits and uh, all that stuff. So we'll have all the information out on our website. So and we'll do an email blast, of course. And I think maybe in November at some point, Greg, I might you know maybe catch another show with you if yep. that's okay, and maybe we can talk more about it. So, but yeah, we'll just stay tuned on our website and we'll have the information. Ted Conrad is joining us here. Fireboard.com is the website. Always appreciate the support, Ted. Thanks for coming on tonight, and we'll look for you again maybe in a month or so. Hey, Greg. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. You got it. Ted Conrad right there. So if you are chomping at the bit for the new Fireboard Beacon, Fireboard.com, and stay up to date that way, or just stay tuned to this show. We'll pass along updates and probably have them on in a month or so. As they get ready for release and the holiday season. Hey, Chris Young from Combustion Inc. is ready to go. We're going to be talking about a topic that's going to blow your mind. Maybe two topics that will blow both of your minds. Before we get to him, we'll talk about Big Papa Smokers. Listen up, gang. 
Our friends at Big Papa Smokers have something special just for you, the listeners of this show, whether you're a seasoned pitmaster or grilling newbie. Big Papa Smokers is your one-stop shop for all things barbecue from their championship rubs, mouth-watering sauces, essential accessories. They've got what you need to take your food to the next level, whether you're a competition circuit person or just a backyard warrior like me. The cherry on top is this. Big Papa Smokers is offering the listeners of the Barbecue Central Show an exclusive deal. Use the code REMPE, R-E-M-P-E. You'll get $10 off your next purchase of $50 or more of rubs, sauces, and accessories. And you can imagine the possibilities evaluating your ribs with Big Papa's Sweet Money. You can add Big Papa's Desert Gold to your chicken or vegetables. Or better yet, pick up Big Papa's Double Secret to add to your steak. It's delicious. Head on over to BigPapaSmokers.com right now and start shopping and saving today. Don't forget to use code REMPE, R-E-M-P-E, at checkout. Claim your offer of $10 off your next order for $50 or more. Don't forget to check out Big Papa's full line of recipes at CookingWithBigPapa.com. And, of course, follow them on all social media platforms for amazing recipes. We're back with Chris Young right after this. Stick around. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Whole packers, full racks, legs and thighs, injecting butts. If you've never heard this before, you might think you found the best triple X show ever. Let's get back to the most homoerotic host out there today. Listening to Barbecue Central. All right, we thank Ted Conrad from Fireboard. And now we welcome a brand new sponsor of the show, Aladino Cigars. Holy crap. I can't believe this has happened. A family-run brand, a vertically integrated manufacturer known for its authentic Corojo tobacco. Grown at the JRE Tobacco Farms in Honduras. This is the original Cuban seed of Corojo. Its flavors, characteristics, all unique, bringing you back to the golden era of cigars in Cuba from 1947 to 1961. Their approach in blending prioritizes flavor to give contemporary smokers like me, like you, a sensational experience with a range of blends, making sure there is something for everyone to enjoy. You can find a retailer near you by visiting JREtobacco.com. And if you're interested, if you're a premium hand-rolled cigar smoker and you've heard me talk on and on about Aladino Corojo Reserve specifically, got a box in the mail today. And if you want to try one or two, hit me up on the emails. I'll hook you up. You can see what that Corojo is really like. And I think you'll fall in love with it. Or if you have a retailer near you that you like to visit and they don't carry them, tell them, get on the JRE train. Let's go. Helping me close the show tonight, the founder of the predictive thermometer system and company called Combustion Inc., aside from his disrupting of the wireless thermometering industry, continues to turn out some great content on the YouTube channel as well, which you can be found at youtube.com slash at Chris Young Cooks which is currently subbing up 93,000 of you. So if you're not subscribed to it, head on over and make sure you hit the subscribe button. Tonight we're talking about something that may or may not help you cook a better steak and may or may not be a huge waste of delicious butter. But let's stop introing it and let's get to talking about it with our pal Chris Young. Chris, before we get into uh, talking about the butter basting and all this stuff. We have a YouTube poll question yep. of the week that we're asking everybody, which is simply this. Is not returning your car to the cart corral worse than not covering your grills and cookers? Yes. Yes, of course it is. Having, How- had, my, having had my car scratched in a parking oh, lot once no. or twice, absolutely yes. Yeah. Well, 54% of the YouTube voting public is in disagreement with us. I can't believe it that they're saying covering grills is worse than not returning your cart to the cart corral. But I firmly disagree, and I will stay disagreed with that until the end of the show. We'll track it through the rest of the 35 minutes of show here as the show is running. Uh, You've taken on a topic I have long wondered. Why the hell does anyone do that? I'm talking about the ritual of tossing gobs of butter in a hot cast iron pan and basting steak over and over and over again. Now, look, aside from the aesthetic... 
has never really created enough intrigue on my part to actually try it. But you can't not see the foodie world, an influencer, professional chef all doing it. Before we dive into the tests and findings, more importantly, do you have any idea who did this first and how it has proliferated through professional kitchens and through social media? I mean, basting goes back hundreds of years. You can you can see uh, the tradition at, at Hampton Court Palace, the Royal Courts uh, of England. You had spit boys who would use brushes made from herbs to dot butter on the, the joints of meat going in front of the fire all day. Certainly, you know, you had that going on in French kitchens. Uh, you know, I can think of cook, cookbooks going back to the 14th century that uh, that mention it. So it's, it's a new technique. It's not, you know, modern invention. It's the kind of thing that chefs have more or less done as long as they've been cooking uh, uh, in, in, in at least in front of fire, but certainly on stovetops. For those that don't know, you are, well, I guess what we would call a classically trained chef, or as I would say, a real ass chef. When you're coming up and uh, putting in the time and effort, how was it explained to you in the kitchen on why you would want to do this? I don't even know if it was a restaurant job i was cooking for a chef named william malekis in seattle and it was just this is how you do it this is how we cook our 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 guinea fowl this is how we do the leg of lamb base 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 with butter herbs and at the end up on the high boy and rest you know when i later was a chef at the fat duck for a number of years you know we we cooked uh, a lot of our meat sous vide because our our kitchen was tiny and it, it was incredibly practical but again uh we would you know we would finish uh, frequently in a hot pan, basting with butter, basting with herbs. You know, it's just something that if you do classical Western cooking, you're going to be taught it at some point. It's going to be just how it's how it's done, uh, which I think is even why, uh, you know, I didn't question it for years. It's just one of those things you do sort of almost ritualistically, um, you know, and I've, I've carried with it, carried it with me ever since. So what's the genesis of the test? You've seen it on and on as I has. You were doing it without question. Uh, I've always thought about why the hell would you do it, but never decided to chase it down further than that. What's the impetus? Yeah, no, I had uh, I had a friend, uh, Greg Koenig, who uh, uh, reach out to me via direct message on Twitter saying, hey, you know, is uh, is is is, you know, is basting bullshit and just something chefs do to, to play with their food or like, does it really work? And if so, like, what's the right technique? And, you know, I think I was about to just start responding with, Oh, here's how you do it. But um, but um, but um, and I never really tested it. You know, I, I I've cooked professionally over, you know, uh, 10 years in restaurants and I've been writing about it for another decade and a half it side by side and you know you go on you, you google some things and you'll see you'll see tons of opinions on reddit and around the internet that oh basting basting speeds cooking basting makes meat juicier basting adds flavor basting cooks more evenly basting ruins skin basting makes skin more crispy and to me that's all there's just like it's something that everybody does certainly in the chefing world uh, maybe not everybody, but almost everybody does it. It's certainly classical canon. And, and yet it hasn't really been challenged. It hasn't really been tested. So uh, I, have a, I have a temperature controlled induction burner and, and uh, some, some nice Matuyo calipers. So I, I went down to Costco, got myself a bunch of tenderloins and cut them, you know, exactly the same thickness and tried to do a series of experiments for, you know, does it speed cooking? Does it cook more evenly? Does it keep the meat juicier? Does it add flavor? And, you know, I think if you'd asked me at the beginning of the test, I would have said, well, yeah, it speeds cooking and it adds flavor, but it doesn't make it juicier. And I don't really think it cooks more evenly. That would have been my, my, my priors, what I believe going in. And you know, there's some nuance to this, which tends to get lost in YouTube or at least the YouTube comments. But for the most part, there's really nothing special about basting and you can entirely skip it if you want to. Um, you know, it doesn't make cooking, cooking faster. Um, can I yes, interrupt just has, for a second? I mean, if you throw a bunch, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> on, on the, so it, I guess it's a two headed question on cooking faster yeah. or cooking more evenly uh, and take either one mm-hmm. in turn. Is it because it's hot liquid going on top of the steak? So you're getting, let's say a, a double action of heat. You have the heat underneath, obviously yeah, from the pan, from but sides. you now have heat from the top. Yeah. So, so it turns out that one's a little surprising. And that's one, I think I could have done a better job of explaining in the video because like I, I definitely confuse people. Um, 
First thing is you generally only baste for the last minute or two yeah. uh, of the cooking in a pan because otherwise the butter is going to burn. The herbs are going to burn, right? You know, and so the starting point is like there's just not much time, cooking time left to really speed it all that much. But the idea is, yes, you're cooking it from sort of two sides at once. Uh, you're putting a lid on evaporative cooling, so you're raising the surface temperature. And it does indeed speed cooking um, a little bit, but not for the reason people think. Certainly not the reason I initially thought. I had to sort of work out the physics of this to figure out what was going on. Um, you get for, for a steak that I wanted 128 degrees Fahrenheit, I'll call it medium rare. On an induction burner at 325 degrees Fahrenheit, which I know sounds low to people, but, you know, the same will be true at 400 or 450. You'll just char your meat more. Um, you want to pull it at about 95 degrees Celsius, Fahrenheit, 95 degrees Fahrenheit if you're going to base it. It is going to carry over, um, you know, that nearly 30, what is that, 30, uh, 34 degrees, wow. you know, and, and, and it's going to take about 10 minutes of resting to do that. If you take a basted, an unbasted steak... Um, and you pull it off at 95, it will actually not get all the way to 128. It will, it'll stop at around 119, 120, which is pretty rare. Like yeah. that's on the blue side of, of, of rare. Yeah. Um, and so if you cook the steak instead of to 95 to 105, 10 degrees hotter, it'll rest to one, uh, to, uh, 128. And that takes about an extra minute of cooking. So you go, oh, well, see, it is faster, except it's not because there's less resting time required. And so by the time you're done resting, it's all a washout. Mm -hmm. I did this across 12 steaks. Everything was cut. Everything was as the same as possible. And all of the steaks finished within 45 seconds of each other, mm -hmm. which is enough of a difference that just fluctuations in your pan temperature, the starting temperature of your meat, that'll swamp that. So, so my conclusion is no, it, it's not a time saver. Um, your second question was about evenness. And I think, again, there's a little nuance. Um, it makes it easier to get a bit of color on the sides of your steak. If you have a chicken breast, which is kind of an oddly shaped thing, it lets you get a little more color on the sides. And that's a good thing. It makes it look nicer. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe a reason to keep basting. But with the, you know, a, a tenderloin or a strip steak or even a ribeye, I can sear it on its side. That's not really that hard to do. So the point is, no, basting doesn't make it more evenly. When you cut them open, they look the same. They have the same gradient. Um, and then, you know, yes, if I throw a bunch of herbs and butter in the pan, it adds flavor to the meat. So the real question is not, does it add flavor? The question is, is there anything magical or special about that flavor? And if you brown some butter with some herbs in it, and then you just brush it on the steak that wasn't basted, and then you do a, a triangle test, a blind test where you have somebody else set up the plate where two slices or one of the steaks and one slice is different. And your job is to figure out the odd man out. Yep. I would have been more, I would have had better chance. If I just flipped a coin, I would have had a better chance of picking out which was which. In other <laughs> words, there's nothing special about basting with adding flavor either. And I really didn't want that to be true. Like, mm. I, like that was the one I was like, no, I want this to be, I want this to be more delicious. <laughs> and, you know, so, so the point is it isn't faster. It, it makes it a little easy to get more color on the sides. So maybe that's a point in its favor. Um, it doesn't keep it juicier. You can weigh the steak before and after, unbasted, basted. You lose about 10, 11% of the, of the cooking weight of the steak, no matter what. You know, there's no statistical difference. And you can get, you know, if I was a chef, I would just have a jar of warm brown butter uh, by the, you know, uh, on the high boy. And I would just brush it on the steaks because butter is kind of expensive. And, you yeah. know, restaurants are not exactly high margin places. So my conclusion was... Look, there's nothing magical about basting. You can totally skip it, but I'm still probably going to baste because after 25 years of cooking, it is fun playing with your food. And, you know, spooning wave after wave of butter across my steak is, is kind of a satisfying thing. There was one surprising finding, though, and this is my rationalization for why I'm going to keep basting. Huh? Uh, the surface of the meat after resting was substantially hotter. After 10 minutes of resting, the unbasted steak was like lukewarm <laughs> on the surface. The basted steak was still about 120 degrees. It was still pleasantly warm. So putting all that extra oil, slowing down evaporation does, you know, it's a little bit of an insulating blanket of delicious butter over your steak. And to me, that's enough reason to keep using obscene amounts of butter in the kitchen. So is the butter, this is my simple mind work. You can tell me where I'm wrong here. But yeah. If you're doing it and you let it sit, 
to me, the butter is going to you know start to congeal, for lack of a better word. So is it keeping the heat like just underneath the surface, more like a, a butter blanket, or how is that working? It is working like that. So the, the way to think about it is butter. It, once you've browned the butter, there's no water left in it. It's pretty much butter oil. Right. And oil and water don't mix. And the, the, the way your food mostly cools off when you're resting it is sweating. That water evaporating from the surface, just like sweating on a hot Midwestern day, cools you off. The sweat cools the food off too. And by putting that layer, that blanket of oil over the surface, you slow down that evaporative cooling, which is actually why resting takes longer, but you keep that surface warmer. So you're losing less heat, which is, you know, again, why the resting takes longer and it turns out it's not faster. But for me, you know, the worst thing in the world is to have a steak that looks perfect. It's perfectly done, but I put that slice in my mouth and it's cold. That sucks. Yeah. Anything else in this that you, so uh, here's what I'm, here, here's what I'm thinking. Uh, I, yeah. I, I'm totally now disinterested in ever basting the steak, number one, even if it's hotter on the surface. Uh, number two, if I was in a restaurant, I would circumvent this whole process by, as you said, putting butter up on the high boy, letting it melt. I'd probably just jam a bunch of thyme sprigs in it and infuse the butter yep. or, or make my own infused butter and then just paint it on. Out it goes. Everybody thinks I've done this magical yep. stuff. Is there anything else in this test that you were surprised or you expected one thing and it has well, proven out another? You know, as I said, I, I, I was surprised by how ineffective basting was. And I think I agree with you. If I was if I had the job of making a restaurant profitable, I'd, I'd sort of do it like uh, there's a there's a great place called uh, uh, Jeff's Texas Barbecue out here in Washington State. And they, they have a fantastic smoked turkey breast. And after they slice it, they dip those slices of turkey breast in warm, yep. molten smoky fat and it's like that is liquid gold so just do that right like that that's all you need to do i think the thing that sort of enraged people about the video is i i i, I you know point out i'm because i'm i'm cooking the steak from raw i'm flipping it every 30 seconds in a pan and i set the temperature of the pan to 300 you know where i'm going with my I next know. question of course i know <laughs> i know from experience that if i have the pan hotter the surface will be burned uh, by the time that inch and a half thick steak is cooked all the way through. I get a perfectly good crust, you know, at, at 325 degrees when I'm flipping it every 30 seconds for 10 minutes. Each flip builds up the crust. The, the benefit of flipping frequently aside from more evenness is, you know, you sometimes get bald spots on the crust. Well, the next flip, you move the bald spot and so it, it evens out. So I have some line where I said, don't believe the kitchen bullshit that you need a ripping hot pan yeah. to sear your steak. And um, uh, I touched a nerve. Uh, <laughs> I, I think there's I think there's a hit squad that, that Reddit's got look, uh, you know, out there looking for me because that's just one of these things that people want to deeply believe. Yeah. And it turns out it's not nearly as important. A ripping hot pan doesn't make that much of a difference, except it does make your kitchen smokier. Uh, you're actually speed limited by how fast you can sear the surface by water. Mm. The surface of the steak, whether it's a 400 degree pan or a 350 pan or a 600 you know, degree pan is actually just a little bit above 212 degrees, the boiling mm. point of water. Mm -hmm. And the Maillard reaction mostly happens below 300 degrees Fahrenheit. When you get the surface of a steak above 300 Fahrenheit, you're making charcoal. Mm. You're into pyrolysis. And this is an arguable difference, but if I do a steak on a, a you know, a, a charcoal grill, ripping hot. I get some charcoal. I get some charring on the surface. And up to a point, that can be pleasant. It tastes different than a pan-seared steak. Yeah. Um, but that's just charring. And I can get that done in a 325 pan. I can get it done in a 350 pan. I can get it done in a 400 pan. And all of those pan temperatures... If I spend the same amount of time searing to get the crust, you know, say a minute of searing, I get about the same amount of crust. I overcook about the same amount. The only difference is how much charring I get. Mm. And so when people say, well, you got to have a ripping hot pan, what they're really telling you is they like a little char on their steak. Um, and on a grilled steak, I love a little char. On a pan roasted steak, I don't like char so much. You know, just, just the way I learn, just the way I cook. So it appears that's another YouTube video that will piss people off. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to have you back on after you do that so we can dig into it a little deeper. So when I sous vide my steaks and then as they're getting ready to finish, 
I'll get the Primo ceramic cooker fired up to 700 Ooh. degrees. Yep. And then I'm, mm-hmm. you know, 30 seconds flip, 30 seconds flip, 30 seconds flip, 30 seconds flip. Usually I'm good to go from there. So I'm not putting yep. myself in a burn position at that point, even though I am, quote unquote, right. ripping hot. Yeah. And and so you know if if I've got my Komodo or my 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 you know I'm using a Weber at the moment for just a classic Weber charcoal grill, you know if I'm grilling a steak, sure it'll be hot, and I want a little of that charring on the edge, and that uh, you know I will start from sous vide or I'll start from a reverse seared steak. That that's probably the biggest difference is pre cooking the meat is going to give you a better sear because the proteins are denatured. They're more reactive at the surface. If you were to compare a steak cooked from raw versus one you've pre sous or reverse seared, you're going to get a much better crust on mm. the pre-cooked one. So I think that's an argument to always do it. But ultimately, the temperature of your sear doesn't matter that much, except it'll make your, your kitchen smokier. What it really is doing is how much char do you want on your steak? You want a lot of char? Get it really hot. It'll help. But if you just want a nice mired crust, you don't need to be that hot. Shaking, then I know that'll be controversial. Shaking the very (laughs) foundations of what you thought about steak cooking, both in temperature to sear, and then of course this butter basting stuff that's been going on forever. Is our pal Chris Young from Combustioning? Uh, How's business these days? Uh, Good. We're actually Mm -hmm. we 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 are sold out of some of our products a a little bit earlier, so we're scrambling to to get back in stock. But it's going well. We've got a bunch of new software updates coming. the second generation predict- prediction engine will be coming in November, and it is putting the foundation in for us to predict mm. uh, the stall. We in our in our you know com- laptop experiments, our development environments, we can now predict the barbecue stall. It's going to be a few more months before we have that loaded into the probe, but barbecue stall prediction, carryover cooking, all of that is coming, and there'll be some new things to announce next year too. Do you have um? Are, are you experiencing supply chain issues? As far as getting stuff to, um, to meet the needs? I will say it is better than it was two years ago. Yeah. Year, you know, during COVID, that was that was crazy. Um, now it's still, you have to plant, you know, a lot of the components, we have to place the order six months out. So our biggest problem as a new company that has a bit of a hit product is, you know, six months ago, we kind of had to guess how many would we sell in September? How many would we sell in October? We guessed wrong, and so for the you know all summer we've been we've been scrambling and scouring the world to find everything we need, and you know paying slightly exorbitant prices to get mm. those components expedited to us. But you know that that's that's our problem, not our customers. Problem. You expecting to see an an uptick for the holidays? Uh, yes, I mean yeah. it, we've been sort of seeing an uptick every month since we started shipping. Um, so now we're sort of expecting the holidays. Maybe much bigger than we expected, and uh, you know, customers seem really happy. We're, we're happy with the reviews, and you know, the compl- the complaints we get are people basically saying they love it so much they wanted to do even more, which is always a good problem to have. And and so, when I'm not making YouTube videos, I'm working with the math team trying to make the predictions uh, the, the best in the world. Check out the YouTube video if you're just tuning in now. You're hearing us talking about uh, maybe you should or shouldn't be basting steak. Go to youtube.com slash at Chris Young Cooks, and you can check out that video and all his other stuff that he's working on. All great videos, by the way, very professionally done, high production value, which I appreciate. And you can see him here on the show every once in a while breaking down those videos in depth. Combustion Inc. Uh, Combustion.inc is the website, by the way. Yep. Uh, anything else before Greg. I let you go? Greg. Nope. Thanks for having me back. Look forward to seeing you after the next controversy. <laughs> Can't wait. It's Chris Young right there. Combustion.inc is the website. So if you're into predictive wireless thermometers, that's one you certainly want to take a look at. And if you're into high level production of myth busting on a whole bunch of different topics, then Chris's YouTube channel is one you want to subscribe to. Almost 100,000. Uh, probably be there in the next couple weeks or so. All right, let's go ahead and get out of here all the way back in the first hour. We had Mark Williams from Swine Life Barbecue doing a little pinch hit for Malcolm Reed, who's out at some creator conference in Texas or wherever he's at. 
Great to catch up with Mark and see what he's up to. SwineLifeBBQ.com is his website if you want to check it out buy some of his products. And then, for the first time in five years, Melissa Cookston made a reappearance on the show. We talked about Memphis and May. We talked about her retiring from Competition Barbecue. We talked about if her husband is going to be also retiring or if he'll continue. We talked about the barbecue supply store. We talked about the World Junior Barbecue League World Championship going on October 22nd. Second hour, Ted Conrad from Fireboard, fireboard.com, and close it out with Chris Young from Combustion Inc. That's combustion.inc, website-wise. And then his YouTube is youtube.com slash at Chris Young Cooks, where you can check out that basting steak video that we were breaking about. Big show planned for you next week. Meathead will be around. Robert Moss will be around. And then I believe in the second hour, Aaron Franklin for both segments. What? How do I always leave you? September 11th, 2001. I will never forget. Until next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. This is your program host and proud U.S. American, Greg Rempe. Good night now. Hi, this is Austin Parsons, Pitmaster with Smoky Mountain Q in Nashville, Tennessee, and you are listening to the Barbecue Central Show.